Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm going to do for you. That's why I ask you to listen to Money Making Conversation. That's why I invite the people on the show to drop nuggets that'll help you in your life, whether you're, an empl- whether you're employed by someone or an entrepreneur, or just looking to find an outlet to be able to define what your dream can be for you. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. My next guest, Reverend Al Sharpton, is an internationally renowned civil rights leader, founder and president of the National National Action Network. National Action Network is one of the leading civil rights organizations in the nation with 106 chapters nationwide. Reverend Al Sharpton hosts a daily radio show, Keeping It Real with Reverend Al Sharpton, and a national cable television show entitled Politics Nation. He does a combined 17 hours of television and radio media every week. In his new book, Rise Up, which we will be talking about on the show, Confronting a Country at the Crossroads, the Reverend Al Sharpton draws on his decades of unique experience as a civil rights leader, a politician, and a radio and television and radio host to encourage voters to stand up for what they believe and enact change in their country. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Reverend Al Sharpton. Hello there. How you doing, my friend? The book, Good. How you doing, Rashawn? Before we before we got on the air, I, I was re- I read the book the last couple. Of, I try to read quote, a book that's close to my interview so everything stays fresh. Reverend Al Sharpton. I started yesterday. I wrapped it up. I got up at four o'clock this morning. Wrapped it up this morning. Uh, the book was so uh, compelling because it felt like. Because the, the, the things you were talking about were just like in the news almost yesterday. And here I'm out reading a book 
today. So when, <laughs> when did you wrap? When did you stop writing the book and turn it over to the publisher to make it such a relevant and current event book? Well, what happened is uh, in uh, early spring, right? I started writing, and I said that I wanted to write a book because I felt that the country was at the crossroads uh, in many of the things that we have dealt with for the last half a century as a country, the mm. fight around uh, black lives and, and our civil rights for African-Americans, the fight around gender equality for women, the fight around LGBTQ rights, the fight around health care. And it was a stark contrast between the way the past administration of Barack Obama, all the way back to the days of Dr. King when I was just a kid, right. was going one way, and now the way this uh, present administration is going in those areas. And then uh, the pandemic hit. So I said to the publisher, wait a minute, uh, let me uh, put the pandemic in, not knowing it would last as long as it did, because as you know, in early March, when it started really hitting, we thought it would be over by Easter. And right. then Easter turned into the 4th of July. <laughs> right. So I, I kept adding and kept adding and updating until uh, George Floyd happened, and I really had to delay it because I ended up in the middle of all of that. Mm -hmm. And then I finally said right before we did the big march on Washington, August 28th, that that was it. I was going to have to close it because it looks like things were not going to calm down. So I wrote all the way till late August. Wow. You know, when I look at things, uh, you know, I've known you a long time, you know, my relationship with Steve Harvey, I still have a positive relationship with Steve uh, and trying to define who my, what my voice is and listening to your voice. And I see what it really is. And because I want to call out some information about the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which is about police accountability reform. Bernard Getz in 1984, which you marched on, shot four black men on the subway. This is about you discussed this in your book. He was ultimately cleared of attempted murder and served less than a year in jail for illegal firearms. That's what they're charging for. Today, right. Bernard Getz is still living in New York City. OK, then you had the Howard Beach incident in 1986, which you discussed in your book, when Michael Griffin was struck and killed by a passenger motor after being chased by a white mob. Then in 1989, the Benson Hurst incident, another white mob, and 16-year-old Yusuf Hawkins was shot and killed. Sean Bell, 50 bullets. Now fast forward to in his back. And now fast forward to Eric Garner in 2014 and George Floyd in 2020. I say I have to ask you about the Black Lives Matter movement because you've been doing this for a long time. And the people kind of act like the, this movement just started because it's been publicized so much in the media in 2016, 2017, uh, you know, the Trump administration led by Rudy Giuliani tried to call it a terrorist group or an organization that made accusation that was that. Tell us from your, your standpoint, what is the Black Lives Matter movement? I think it is a movement that uh, is really calling on accountability of mm -hmm. police. I don't think it's even an anti-police movement is an anti-bad police uh, movement, and I think it has been effective, and it has grown. Uh, you know, when Trayvon Martin was right. killed uh, in uh, 2012 in Sanford, Florida, uh, and ironically, uh, President Trump is kicking off his, you know, coming out of COVID uh, with his first rally in Sanford, Florida. Right. And uh, at the same exact location, uh, when that happened, they wouldn't even arrest George Zimmerman, who shot and killed uh, Trayvon. 
and his parents and attorney Ben Crump, who has worked with uh, uh, me and National Action Network for on other cases, came to me. I had not even heard of Trayvon. Right. And uh, attorney Crump said, uh, that's why we came to you. Trayvon had already been funeralized and buried for about two weeks. They said, we want you to help make this a national issue. So I got uh, on it, and I said, well, let's have a rally right there in Sanford. And uh, uh, we called uh, some of our people, uh, chapters around Florida, but then we also called our national radio people. One of the people that uh, I called, and people, the listeners need to know, was you. Oh, uh, got Steve in there, buddy. Yeah. Yes, he did. I mean, let, let, let's not act like a lot of these cases, you didn't get the first call, and you say, Steve, we better get on this, and yes, then sir. you Thank started you. with your own media platform, but mm -hmm. you, you were my link, because, you know, Steve is all over the place, right, right. as you were, but you would call me right back, because you said, Greg wouldn't call me if it wasn't important, mm -hmm. and uh, we beat the drums, and we put 10,000 people in, in uh, Sanford. And it happened to be uh, when I was getting ready to get on a plane to head to uh, Orlando that day, because I flew to Orlando to drive to Sanford, I got the word my mother died, mm -hmm. who had been sick. And I went anyway, because I felt my mother would have wanted me to do that. And I did. And we got uh, enough people to where they felt the pressure. They arrested Zimmerman. As he went on, uh, a few months later, went on to trial, as you know, he was acquitted. That night... Three young ladies sat down and wrote the hashtag Black Lives Matter, and uh, it blew up and became a theme. And it uh, went through a lot of the protests around Trayvon all the way in Eric Garner and, mm -hmm. and uh, Michael Brown in, uh, in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. And then it kind of lulled for a minute, and then it picked back up when we started seeing a rash of other uh, cases. So to say that they are terrorists, you know, these were three brilliant sisters that captured a phrase that captured exactly how we all felt, that we didn't matter. You can shoot a kid with a make-believe security guard, he wasn't even that, and acquit him, we matter. And it wasn't saying others didn't matter. It was saying that you act like we don't matter and we're affirming that we do. You get in life what you affirm yourself to be. And I think that that movement grew. They formed some Black Lives Matter organizations. They worked along in many cases with other groups. In some cases, they didn't. The three sisters worked uh, very closely with us in National Action Network and other groups. And there's always been like that, as as you know, mm -hmm. back in the days when you and I were kids, uh, uh, they you had the NACP, you had Dr. King, you right. had uh, uh, Core, mm -hmm. but then you also had Malcolm X, right. and you also had the students sitting in. Dr. King didn't sit in on a lunch counter or ride a bus. So I think a lot of the media are lazy and don't deal with the fact that we're not looking at anything different. There are different ways that people express their outrage, but all of us are trying to fight for change. Black Lives Matter is not terrorists. They're trying to stop the terrorism. When police can shoot a man 
in his back, uh, running away from them, as the case in Kenosha. Right. Uh, and and when a, a police can uh, shoot a man at Wendy's that is intoxicated, uh, and 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 he's running away, that's terrorism. So how do they call that terrorism, and 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 not and call those that are peacefully protested, many of them white, right. saying Black Lives Matter? How does that become terrorist? We know that I'm um, speaking of that. Because that's that's the part that really changed for me was the white participation in the protests, because of the fact that, you know, we all know there was a scheme out there to make it a black violent crime situation. Don't trust black people. We're going to tear up your neighborhoods and create white fear. But in this particular movement, after the George Floyd, white people were marching. And not just That's a few true. white people were marching. I, I would watch TV and I just see white people just walk by my screen on television, then a black person, then more white people, then a black person. What do you why do you feel there has been a tremendous upswell in white people being angry, being annoyed, being upset? Because we know it's white people important. We know it's white people in Seattle. There's not black people up there. It's white people. That's right. That's right. Well, let me say uh this. I think what happened was because Uh, the George Floyd video came out during the pandemic. Everyone was shut down and couldn't go out. There was no distractions. As you turned on the TV, people were watching the news, trying to get the update on the pandemic. When will this break? When can I go out? When can I go to work? And they're watching the news. They had no distractions because you couldn't watch the ball game because there was no ball games. There was no baseball, no basketball, no anything. And I think this is the first time that the whole country was locked into having to watch this video over and over again on the news. And a lot of whites just said, this is outrageous and ex- exploded. So many of the whites that didn't see the videotape on Eric Garner when he died from a chokehold from a New York City policeman, they saw what happened to uh, to George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And then when they when you emphasize to them that this man, the policeman, had his knee on his neck eight minutes and 41 seconds, they were saying, wait a minute, that's just beyond the pale, which is why when I did the eulogy in Minneapolis or for George Floyd's family, uh, I asked everybody to stand up and people all over that were watching even uh, all over the country, people stood up. I, I got all kind of tweets saying, I really didn't get it till you told me to stand up because after three minutes, I was tired. How do you have that kind of vigor and rage to hold your knee on somebody's neck that's pulsating and begging for their life unless you have a whole lot of venom in you? And I think it was the graphic of eight minutes and 41 seconds and the fact that everybody saw it that ignited a lot of whites. I went to marches where there were more whites than blacks right there in Minneapolis. And I think that that's what happened. And I think that's a good thing. So they can't pigeonhole it. There's just angry blacks. It's angry Americans saying that we have to do something about bad cops and good cops ought to be wanting to see something bad uh, about bad cops because it makes them look bad. It really does. I'm talking to Reverend Al Sharpton, his new book, Rise Up, Confronting the Country at the Crossroads. Reverend Al, I'm just uh, read your book and it's a great read. Uh, I'm going to just call out some really great line liners and moments in the book uh, that, I, that I want you to respond to. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the book is if, if Don King was born white, 
he will be Trump. <laughs> yeah. Don King, who you and I know, is a great promoter. That's what he is. He doesn't profess to be a uh, political leader or consensus leader. He promotes. He sells his promotion. Mm-hmm. That's who Don King is. Don Don Donald Trump is the same. He's a promoter. The man uh, does not have a political ideology, does not have uh, a real uh, philosophy. His thing is he promotes what works, and racism worked for him. Uh, Birtherism is how he started his political career, saying the president of the United States was not really one of us. And when he saw that work, he therefore leaned in and used that and has been using racial language and 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 racial leanings ever since and i i told him in our last uh uh, meeting that because he was saying why are you calling me a racist because if you're comfortable with racism you've got to have racism in you because there's things that you and i would just not be comfortable with i don't care how much it was working for us and that's where uh i made that uh assertion he's a promoter he's not uh, a thinker he's not a doer he's a promoter and he uses whatever works you know it's really uh, absolutely the truth i i i learned you know like i said i was caught up first of all caught off guard when he won i voted against him but i still was caught off guard when he won and then when you look at his game plan he is a, a, a like you said in your book he's a he's a uh He's a guy of theorists about uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theorists. You know, he right. he sits around when that when I read last week, well, he fought. He 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 tweeted forty times, forty times in twenty four hour period. My God, who does that? <laughs> and, yeah. and you do social media, and I do social media. Can we casual social media? It's tiring. I'm just telling you, it's tiring to post. It's tiring to come up with ideas to say in social media. For to do it for forty times, Reverend Al, that's really, really ridiculous. And and it, it it suggests you if he's supposed to be the head of the free world, how do you even have time to do that forty times? But that's who he is. That's where his focus is. That's where his priority is. Is to promote and he uses social media to do it, and he uses television to do it. And as you said, I was surprised when he won. But the way he was able to manipulate the media, he was rolling over in the bed calling TV shows, and they put him on the air. Yes, he did. And he he got. Tons of free media. Like he's doing with Fox News now. Like he's doing with Fox News now. And right now. He doesn't even have to come in the studio. They don't have to set up the Zoom. He just talks and they let him go. And that's a promoter, but it's dangerous for the future of the country. You have to ask yourself, when I say he has no philosophy, and, and you reiterated that, your show is about how people can really be entrepreneurs or make their ends meet wherever level they want in terms of money. Yes. What is his economic policies? Mm-hmm. I do not know a black businessman in New York that ever got a major contract from the Trump organization. So when he says the blacks uh, work with me, the only record we have is him as a businessman. I don't know a big black firm or a small one that could say, I was able to expand my business and get a major contract through Donald Trump. It takes effort to be in New York, as you know, mm-hmm. and do business and never do business with blacks or Latinos. It takes effort. 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 
because we want it. We are it's too many of us, first of all, especially when you go to the boroughs. It's just we just right. populate. And I've right. always said that the, the the five boroughs in each one of the five boroughs have more black people than most major cities in this United States. So trying to avoid a black person, and then when you include the Latinos, it's ridiculous when you say you can't do business. It was just like, you know, the, the CEO of uh, Wells Fargo said he can't qualify black people to work for him. When people can exactly. make these statements, they make these statements because guess what? They don't want to associate themselves or accept the fact that we compete. And when I look at you, and and I've been blessed to, you know, know, know uh, uh, Jesse Jackson. I know you for a long time, being associated with Steve. We, we sat down a very intimate situation and trying to motivate black people with information and that's what you've all been about me with information that's why i always returned your phone call so quickly because i say he called me he needs something and uh, he needs something i gotta be there to assist now I, I, at the start of the interview i talked about the movements that you've been involved with most notably since 1984 the movements the marches the marches the marches the marches are such a dominant voice right now and what we're doing and they're going on right now they just don't report them anymore the people are still marching right. in this country they're just marching That's right. they're That's just not right. reporting it but people are still marching because of the fact that that Donald Trump made, was making it a political issue but now he realized it doesn't work guess what he's backed off like they're not right. happening anymore you know right. and, but not saying anything about those same guys who went up to the in Michigan who tried to kidnap and possibly kill the governor were the same idiots in March who he said liberate Michigan. He said liberate Michigan. He uh, helped to put some uh, oil, some gas on the fire. And these guys, that's terrorists. Why mm -hmm. isn't he calling them terrorists? Why isn't he calling them out? And these guys, can you imagine if uh, some black guys talked about kidnapping a governor? Yes. Uh, or, or any Latinos or some Mexicans mm -hmm. or Muslims? Mm -hmm. He would have been gone bananas. He'd have sent out every National Guard he could. But these are whites. He has nothing to say, hasn't denounced it. And they literally were talking about starting a civil war. And, and Absolutely. And some of them really didn't care about him. You know, they were just anti-governor. That's why government. So that's why it's really crazy when you realize that the people you're trying to motivate are really anti-you and anti-government and really are terrorists, just like you said. They are domestic terrorists, and he's not even acknowledging that, and nor is uh, Mike Pence either. And that's the information I just try to deliver on my show. It's an entrepreneurial show, but guess what? What they're doing in the White House affects us. What they're doing in the White House affects us as black people with COVID-19 because we're overtly affected by the 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 way we eat, through our lifestyles, all that, by our finances are being affected by COVID-19 and the financial packages that they fail to approve. When you look at all this happening in 2020, and you and I have been around a long time, Reverend Al, what is your, your take on this? What is our future and how important is November 3rd for everybody to get out and vote? Our future is in our hands. We have the numbers if we come out and vote in these various states uh, to turn this around. And not for Joe Biden, but for us. Yes. We can't afford to lose the Affordable Care Act. We can't afford to lose the voting rights, which in many states they have changed the voting uh, laws. And uh, we need the Voting Rights Act to be empowered more uh, with the John Lewis voting rights bill that has passed the House of Representatives but has not even been, been put in front of the Senate because McConnell 
uh, will not put it up. But if uh, the, the majority of the Senate changes to Democrat, it won't be up to McConnell. It'll be up to the new majority leader would probably be Chuck Schumer. We cannot afford for them to turn back affirmative action that's going in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, so these, all of these issues say that we have got to stand up and take our future. And magic is not going to bring us uh, a reverse and liberation. We've got to do the work. Uh, God is not going to come and do it. God has given us the strength to do it, and we've got to vote that our forefathers who uh, had faith in God fought to get us. We need to use it in a mass way. And as you said, it is related to entrepreneurship and business. The guy called me one day on the show, uh, my radio show, and said, well, Reverend Al, I ain't into politics. I want to go in business. I said, but you can't go in business without dealing with the political reality. Where you want to set up your store is a zoning board decides whether Thank it you. can be a business there, commercial, or whether it's residential. That's political. Uh, the regulations you have to follow is decided by regulators. That's political. Everything you do, how you bank, what the interest rates are, all of that is political. So you can't run from it in the name of I'm in business, I'm not in politics. To be in business is to have to engage in who makes the political decisions. That's why you should at least vote to make sure you have the people in there that's sensitive to your issues and your interests. What a powerful statement. And that's why I try to tell people, you can't have a closed-minded approach to, it doesn't bother me, it's not affecting me, it's not in my neighborhood, that's them, and them look like you. You can't talk like that. Right. Because that's right. eventually, I always tell people, they pull George Floyd out of Mercedes-Benz. Okay? That's, that's, I tell people all the time. Remember the car right. he got pulled out of? It wasn't a jalopy. Right. He wasn't on the side of the street looking homeless. They pulled him out of Mercedes-Benz. And, st- right. and so that means that economic structure means nothing to people who devalue you because of your color or you as a human being. But when I was reading the book, uh, you know, your book Rise Up, um, what compelled you to write the book? Because there's so many layers. It talks about, you know, four years old when you started your James Brown experience and what he taught you. And and the, and the one of my favorite lines in there is like, in my life, I run with dreamers and schemers. Martin Luther <laughs> King Jr., Nelson Mandela and John Lewis are dreamers. Roger Stone, Don King and Donald Trump are schemers. And then I added this line. Good outruns bad. Only if you stay the course. That's your line. Now, I just yeah. put it together because that is absolutely the truth. What we're talking about right now with this election. Good outruns bad if we stay the course and vote. Because we're yeah, letting we too many schemers win. We're letting too many schemers win, Reverend Al Sharpton. That's right. That's right. And we let them win because we don't do our best. We don't stay committed and dedicated and disciplined. But if you stay the course, no matter what, there is going to be a win. There is always light at the end of the tunnel if you don't give up midway the tunnel. And you've just got to keep going. And one of the great things I wanted to bring out in the book was uh, that you brought out in the book because of the fact that, who, who, well, I, did you write the book? Did you have a ghostwriter? How did, how did no, the book I wrote it. I wrote wow. it. Fantastic. Wrote Fantastic. It. Fantastic. Uh, Mike Eric Dyson. Now, he put some pay. He put some work in that uh that forward. Now, he put some words yeah, in that did. forward. Yeah, he did. Yeah, uh, he and, did. And, uh, and because of the fact that he told me some things, he got me excited about the book, Michael Eric. And I went, wow, this is powerful stuff. When I went into the book, I went, wow, this is really it's things I didn't know about you. And one of the things that was compelling to me was the fact that the gold medal you wear around your neck is not jewelry. Tell everybody about it. When I did the march that you mentioned in Howard Beach in 86, uh, where we were uh, marching about 
uh, three black uh, young men were attacked for mm-hmm. being in the Howard Beach section of Queens, New York, which was mob-dominated at that time. Uh, and we kept marching. We ended up getting three of those young men indicted for uh, manslaughter. Hosea Williams, who was one of Dr. King's chief lieutenants uh, years before, came to New York, and he would give people the Martin Luther King medallions he had made to sort of knight them that you have worked in the spirit of Dr. King, who he worked with for so long. And uh, he came to the rally and hung that around my neck. And it made me feel like if I was in the uh, the streets, it made you feel like a made man. <laughs> right, he right. was one of the main elders of the movement mm-hmm. uh, that I had looked up to all my life knighting me with this Martin Luther King medallion. I think I slept with it for three days. Mm-hmm. So I would wear it all the time because I was so honored by it. And the press with all him and in the day, and even some blacks, what did he wear jury for? It wasn't jury. It was an award from uh, from Hosea Williams. Now, yeah, I wore track suits, but I was a young guy. That was what we wore in those days. Run DMC, come on now. Run DMC, <laughs> Curtis Blow. All of them were my contemporaries. I, I grew up, Spike Lee, Russell Simmons, all of us was Brooklyn and Queens, same age group. We grew up together, and I dressed my age. I wasn't, you know, Jesse was 13, 14 years older than me, and, and uh, John Lewis and them, they were a generation ahead of me. I dressed like my generation. And uh, so people made caricatures out of it, but I was just being me. And I talk about that in the book. Yes, be you yourself. Do. Be authentic. You don't have to try and 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 cramp your style or readjust your style. Be you, because if you understand your self-value and have real self-awareness, you can make it work. And you are making it work. And in closing, uh, uh, Reverend Aaron, how can one be an activist? You know, how can one use the media and because that's important right now, because you've been doing it so long. You you know, you've written a book on on motivation, seeing us, seeing it through, you know, right. getting through the through from the positive from the negative to the positive. Talk about how can one be an activist? One can be an activist by first determining what it is you want to get done. It doesn't have to be a huge march. It doesn't have to be. Uh, something everybody talks about. It could be, I want to do something in my neighborhood. I want to do something in my church, something in my business, uh, something in my workplace. Set a goal and then be determined to get that done. And in your local or even bigger than that, use the media to tell your story. Don't have the media be your goal. Have the media be your means to a goal. Marching doesn't solve a problem. Marching exposes a problem. But if somebody doesn't know how to expose a problem, you'll never force those in power to deal with it. As long as they can operate in the dark, they will continue to do whatever they want to do. But as soon as you put the light on something, everyone has to adjust because everyone's looking at what's being done. Wow. Rise Up, Confronting a Country at the Crossroads. A new book out by Reverend Al Sharpton. Reverend Al, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, tell, them to, tell them to come and send me some flyers. I got over a million social media followers. I got a fan club, right. over 90,000 fan club members. I want to send you flyers out with a link so we can sell this book. It's a great book. As you know, I've read it. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to share it with my friends and tell them. When I say share, share the link to buy. I don't just share books. I say well, buy. I appreciate it. We try to sell books here. We try to get number one on best sellers and stuff like this if we try to win, yeah. right. but it's a well, great I appreciate it well I will send it to you and uh, 
let me tell you something. There's only about 20, 25 people in the world whose opinion matters to me. And Rashawn, you are definitely on that list. I appreciate it. Much respect, man. And you, I respect Thank you. you. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more money-making conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.